0: hello and welcome to the local leaders podcast i'm your host jeff johnson the local leaders podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories their experiences their advice and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives get ready another great show is coming up All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I am excited today to bring to you Darren Campbell. Um, his restaurant is La Papagayo and in Encitas, California. I may not have said that exactly right, but uh, just outside of San Diego, I believe. Hey, Darren, and welcome to the show.
1: How's it going, Jeff? Thanks so much for having me,
0: man. Hey, did I get that right? Or are you just outside
1: of San Diego? Yeah, you were close. It's uh, Le Papagayo, and we are in Encinitas, California, which is kind of a north territory of San Diego County.
0: Yeah, I did. I did put the uh, Hispanic twist to it, didn't I? <laughs> uh, La Papagayo. It's Le Papagayo, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. You got close. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for being here, and I apologize for that. That's uh that's that's my Hispanic spouse coming through. You know, everything's law <laughs> or hell. Yeah, um, so I, no I appreciate that. I'm glad to have That's you, fine. Darren. And and I'd love for you to just kind of start out, if you would, and, and tell us a little bit about the restaurant and the business and uh, kind of how it started and, um, you know, the story behind it.
1: Yeah. So uh, thanks again, by the way, for having me, uh, giving me this opportunity. It's um, it's a pleasure. So um, so my let's see, where can I start? Encinitas, California is kind of a small beach community. Um, In North San Diego County, as I mentioned, and it's a small population. We've got a little tiny downtown area. Um, And this restaurant, Lake Papagayo, has been in business for going on 20 years. Um, We've been doing live music nightly since the day we opened. And um, over the past two decades, it's grown in size from starting out to be about a 1200 square foot little, little breakfast lunch spot. Um, to the 3,800 square foot spot with about 2,000 square feet of patio space Um, uh, that it is now, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Uh, Still sticking to the live music nightly from 7 to 10. Um, And it's kind of become a little institution. My, um, My dad and I purchased a restaurant going on about seven years ago. Um, and we've been operating it, um, as a single location, um, for, we operated it as a single location for, um, about two and a half or three years, and then, um, uh, ended up purchasing a couple more restaurants in the interim, um, and opening up a second location in Carlsbad, California, which is about, uh, about 20 minutes North of the original location. Um, and, Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great time. And you can imagine some ups and downs working with family. But uh, I think for the most part, um, we've been able to work things out nicely. And
0: here we are. That's that's awesome. I mean, seven only seven years in and and you've you've built a successful restaurant and and been able to actually take um, Leibaba Papagayo to a second location uh, down in Carlsbad. For those of you who didn't catch that. Uh, and you're in the area make sure that you check it out are you playing uh, are you live music in both locations seven nights a week
1: yeah every night uh, at both spots and you know we just starting to do like a brunch music type of thing so on saturday and sundays uh we'd have two shows one from 11 to 2 uh for the brunch crowd and then one from 7 to 10 uh for the dinner crowd so
0: Wow, that is that is awesome. I um, that that makes me wish I was nearby because my wife and I we love to go out and, and we love music and we like to have a beer and and love to have good food. So, uh, yeah. it, it sounds like yeah. you got yes, you got sir. the destination for us right there. Hey, yes, um, sir.
1: Yeah, it makes it fun. You know, even even just be going to work. You know, when I go to work and I get to hang out at the bar and listen to live music every night, um, it doesn't make it too shabby.
0: No, no, no. You you guys have done great, and and we're just happy to have you on today and and happy to be able to kind of bring your story to our audience. And um, uh, for those that that are in and around your area, you know, we we hope that, again, if you haven't had the opportunity uh, to check them out, be sure that you do uh, go to see Darren and his team at one of those two locations.
1: Um,
0: And, you know, I want to kind of back up a little bit and take you back a ways to to when you when you purchased this particular um, uh, institution as you called it uh, you sure. said tw- said it was about 20 years old you've had it about seven years and yeah. what what drew you into that opportunity was it for sale or did you just go go chase it down and uh, find a way to, to to get it or kind of how did that work? Yeah, so uh,
1: my dad and I uh, originally out of college, I was uh, in real estate with him. He was a developer for 25 or so years and Hmm. I was working for an investor out of college um, and eventually split off, started doing my own thing with him, um, kind of doing the same thing I was doing. We were flipping homes and um, finding opportunities um, in real estate and realizing that um, at the time it was working out well, but big picture long-term. Um, I didn't, it, it didn't seem like something that I was going to be fully interested in. So, um, my dad and I had always talked about restaurants and bars growing up. Um, something that, you know, I'd probably consider ourselves foodies before it was, uh, on trend to be a foodie, mm-hmm. um, type of thing. And, um, eventually we, we kind of came up with the idea, you know, why don't we start looking right now, find something to buy and, see what happens. Let's run it. Let's run it with all the ideas we've been talking about over the last 20 years and, and see what happens. And so we looked and I almost did that full time for a year and a half. We were in and out of escrow with three or four different locations uh, around Southern California. Um, eventually within the the brokerage industry, I found somebody who, who, uh, knew about the La Papaga guy location. And, um, i I jumped on i I went there, took a look at it when I knew it was for sale um, sat down, had dinner with my then girlfriend and um, I fell in love with the spot. It was exactly what we were looking for, and to be honest it it almost set up exactly how I identified uh real estate uh, back in the day when i was when I was flipping homes trying to look for the best the best location, but the most tired house and see if you could put some money into it and and revamp it and ultimately resell it so it was kind of it kind of had a little bit of that where it had a really good history it had a big strong local following uh but the current owner was um older and he was ready to move on and and you could kind of start seeing that in in the restaurant and how it was being operated so i knew we had a good opportunity Um, and and we jumped on it we were able to work out a good deal with the landlord and and the then owner and um yeah, it's been six and a half years of almost seven years of of a wild ride. Learned a lot, but um yeah, it's been fun. Well well tell me tell me a little about
0: when you first got in. I mean, having not been in the restaurant space, although you you had a had a love for it all those years. Mm-hmm. Um when when you got got started and and I guess it were you in the well, it was already open, so you didn't have to get it opened up, right. I, I, I don't right. suppose. Right. Were, what were some of your first hurdles or challenges that you kind of ran into that maybe you weren't expecting? Was there anything? Well, that-
1: yeah. So something I was expecting out the gate, you know, I was 27 years old when uh, we bought the restaurant. And, uh, you know, knowing I had a lot of tenured employees that were, uh, you know, 15, 20 years my senior, that I needed to make sure I was coming in there and earning their respect first and foremost. And so the first thing I did was I was I was working out the gate right alongside of them. So I was taking tables as a server. Uh, I was doing some hosting at the host stand. I did a couple nights of bartending. I even worked on the line for a little while in the kitchen, um, which, you know, those guys were very happy to see me leave that that location. And I got to tell you, if I was (laughs) if I would have stayed any longer back there, I don't think we'd be talking right now. But um, but I think doing that, was the, the most important thing I could have done, uh, making sure that I was on the ground level with them, um, shoulder to shoulder, uh, learning not only the restaurant industry as a whole with that location, but also learning the restaurant itself, understanding what the locals were looking for um, and just kind of immersing myself in that um, was really was help, helped me get to the point where I was able to talk to them about making some changes, doing some things aesthetically, staffing some things differently, um, doing some things training wise with the staff, uh, making sure that they were as supported as possible to be given the best service as possible. Um, and just making sure that the atmosphere was one that people wanted to come to work every day. Uh, and that was able to get me really by doing that, it was able to get me to that point uh, as soon as possible. So I think that was the the number one challenge out the gate. Once that was done, I got to be honest, I think I think with my lack of experience, I don't know if anything really surprised me because I wasn't under any sort of false idea of what to expect or what I thought was to be expected. You know what I'm saying? Where we're where going in the way that I did, it was kind of like, you know, I didn't have any built-in biases. I didn't have any ideas of what it should look like. And it was kind of just, hey, this is your baby now. This mm-hmm. is all I did for 70 or 80 hours a week for a good three or four years. Um, and it was just do your best with what you got. You know, I was in a lucky enough position where the clientele were coming in. And so now it was, it was not, what can we do to get people in? It was, what do I need to do to make sure these people are going to be coming back? And it was just identifying those, those, uh, issues. You know, I've got a business degree from the university of San Diego. So I was able to call on that and rely on that a little bit because at some point, there are some nuts and bolts of businesses that you just need to be able to uh, do properly. And so getting those in, in place, getting the right percentages in place, um, and then just having fun with it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're serving food and drinks to people um, and you get to listen to live music on the beach. So, you know, at some point have fun with it. And that's Man, what it is.
0: That, that's a dream come true for, for <laughs> a lot of people. my friend. Yeah, that is, uh, exactly.
1: That is- so keeping it in perspective was really important too. I didn't want to get you know, too bog down with the day-to-day and, 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 you know, lose sight of how fun it is to be able to do what I am doing.
0: That's, that's awesome. It, uh, it, it definitely, you created a picture already for those that, uh, those that are listening of, um, yeah. uh, being on the beach, listening to music, having a drink, yeah. eats, enjoying yeah. some great meals and times yeah. with, with friends and family. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's an amazing uh, picture. And, um, Sounds like a great environment, a great place to be. so yeah. So did you have to when, when you came in, I'm just curious, did you mm-hmm. did you make menu changes and, and things like that based on you know kind of immersing yourself in the, in the business? Did, did, you know what, what kind of changes did you make? Maybe I should ask that question.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I got asked that so I'll back up a little bit during the transition when uh, we were negotiating the deal. Part of the um, uh, deal in the cell was the current owner had to stay on for 60 days um, and basically be my mentor, uh, kind of show me the ropes, uh, help me understand the nuts and bolts of the business, get me um, on board with all the vendors, um, get me on board with the chef, make sure all of those relationships are built properly and, and all that. So part in that 60-day period, uh, his name was Francois. Francois and I would uh, be together in the restaurant almost every day. And so we'd see a lot of the locals and I would say 90% of the time it was, please don't touch the menu. Please don't touch the cocktail list. Please don't mess with the sangria. Please don't mess with the clue pork. Everybody had their favorites. And so as I was learning that Mm. and becoming more involved with the menu and the creation side of it, um, you know, for sure, for the first two or three months, as I was going through that transition phase, I didn't touch anything. Yeah. There was no changes. There was no nothing. I did not want to rock the boat. You know, don't break something that isn't, uh, or don't fix anything that isn't broken or whatever that saying is a hundred percent that that's exactly what I did. So I got confident. I got comfortable with the menu, with the people, with what the community wanted, what they, what they didn't want. I started running product mixes, which you kind of can, a- you're able to go back as far as you want with your point of sale system and figure out how many times you've moved your filet mignon, how many times you've moved your rack of ribs, and then be able to kind of figure out what are my dogs, what's not moving on the menu, what does really well, where am I at pricing wise, where am I at community wise. Um, and so, with all of that information, slowly, I mean, as slowly as you can possibly imagine i started introducing small specials we would do some entrees every couple weeks i would do some new entrees um and i would introduce them just as weekend specials i'd have the staff push them uh, and then i would be there to gauge the response from the customer and if they did well for multiple weeks at a time i would then take a look at that product mix as i mentioned figure out what wasn't moving um and then i would rotate that and now look at times. I moved some things that there was a little bit of pushback from the area, from my Mm -hmm. local community. But as they began to trust me more and more and my chef that I was working with at the time, um, those complaints and those worries started to dwindle as time went on. And so eventually, as as much as you want to keep those items on the menu and make sure people understand what they're going to be getting every time they come in and having that consistency, there's a huge argument to be made. Uh, on that side of it, but at the same time on the flip of the coin, you also want to make sure that you're not getting stale and you need to be keeping up with new trends, new ideas, new, different, different products that people are, are pushing out there, um, in order to keep it fresh and lively and seasonal and all those types of things. And so marrying those two, uh, takes commitment from ownership. Um, it, it takes a, it takes a, a pretty concerted effort. Um, but if you're able to hit that marrying of introducing new items, but also staying true to what the concept is and what brings brings the people back every time, um, then you've got you've got a great recipe for success. And I think that's exactly what I try to do.
0: Yeah, that that was beautifully stated. And, um, um, you know, uh, a great piece of advice for for people out there who who are getting into a, a new restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of lessons lessons here and, and lots of interesting conversation points, you know, between those who prefer to start their own, uh, restaurant as opposed to going in and and buying a current, uh, restaurant. Um, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to each, but, uh, but I love the way you did it and to have that discipline that, uh, you know, at a young age, which, you know, frankly, 27 is a
1: young age, you know, (laughs) um,
0: and, and, you know, to be, to have that dedication and, and commitment and, and again, the patience to, uh, to find a way to, to keep it working, um, you know, is a testament to, to you guys' success in the, in the business or your success okay. in the business. Um, you know, from a, from a challenges standpoint, let me, let me pull back up to the future a little bit, just meant sure. and talk about, about staffing um because it's a major hurdle for every restaurant owner and pretty much every business around the country sure. um are you guys having any challenges on on that side or have you found a way to to kind of get around that
1: yeah so uh 100% you know this is this there's no doubt i was just having this conversation with my dad yesterday actually uh i would say in the 7 years i've been in this game Uh, this last week was the most challenging week we've been met with. Um, I've been dealing with, um, just an astronomical amount of issues, not only on top of how difficult it is just to run a restaurant in the first place. Uh, but when you throw everything else that we have going on, uh, into that fire, it's just been, um, it's been one thing after the other. And so I've really focused on, um, uh, dealing with the fires as they come up, whatever is most important being number one. And, uh, and working down the list. I've got a good support team with my management crew. I've got a general manager that works side-by-side with me um, at both of the La Papagaio locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been integral in, in, in seeing the way through these, these fires and um, to be honest, uh, I would say 90% of our problems right now are finding um, back of the house, hard of house uh, staff members. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that we the unemployment benefits are as high as they've been. Um, I know we've gotten multiple different stimuluses in, in California specifically. Um, and when you're talking about these, uh, you know, hourly workers that are, are doing anything where anywhere from 15 to 18 bucks an hour, um, and you compare that to what they were getting by just sitting at home, um, you know, it, it's hard to get those people motivated to get back out. Um, and when you talk about at the scale that California has to get back up to, um, you know, the amount of people that have to get back to work, um, you know, and, and those percentages. And then when you talk about how, uh, how busy the restaurants are and everybody wanting to get back out there, you know, I'm about as busy as I've ever been with customers, and so I need as many staff members as I've ever needed right now. Um, right. And it's as difficult as it's ever been to find them. And so what that's happening is it's artificially pushing up my hourly wages in the back of the house. So my line cooks, I'll give you an example. Typically, um, pre-pandemic, were anywhere from 16 to 18 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. And right now, I can't get somebody in for an interview for less than 19 bucks an hour. And so I'm going from 15 to 18 to where now I'm pushing 19 to 22 bucks an hour for my line cooks. Um, And they won't, they won't even walk in the door to talk to you unless you're, you're in that range. And so, you know, and then you talk about the supply side of it you know, shellfish and seafood, especially are through the roof right now. I know last month, my food costs were in that 45 to 50% range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying not to touch my numbers um, to pass it along to the the consumer. But, um, you know, I, I know a lot of restaurants are getting creative, adding the three or 4% surcharges onto their bills. Uh, I've never been a fan of that. Um, and I'm, I'm just starting to have to get, uh, into the realm of figuring out, you know, what that next move is. If I start pulling some things off of the menu in order to, uh, get us through this, this phase, or if that's just passing the buck along to the consumer and, and saying, look guys, this is it. If you want to buy it, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I want to prove it, but, um, at some point it's not sustainable, um, to, be eating a 40% labor and uh 50% food cost. Um, mm-hmm. As you can imagine, those, those types of numbers with already slim margins um, are going to be losers. And I, I won't be able to stay in business. I won't be able to employ uh, over a hundred people per location. Um, and so, finding that balance right now is definitely um, definitely difficult and my number one concern and so hopefully we can get some relief getting more employees back to be motivated to work again which I think we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel with that hopefully that brings wages back down into a controllable, Uh, range. Um, and then hopefully the supply side can continue to get better and better as we ramp up more and more. Um, you know, I'm trying to ignore the Delta news as much as possible, but, um, you know, it, it seems like every day it's starting to pick up more steam. And so, um, I'm trying to hold on tight man, and I'm trying to keep the light, you know, I'm trying to uh, stay positive. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's a difficult time.
0: Yeah, it's it's really challenging, um, you know. To especially when you've got so much demand. I mean, that, that's what you're always after when you start a business. You want people to to want to be there, and um, you want that demand to be strong. And and today, um, you know, successful restaurants like you guys have the mm-hmm. demand rolling in. You just mm-hmm. you know have trouble with capacity because you know you just not got the you just don't have the capability to to serve and service everyone as you'd yep. like, or yeah. you bite the bullet and you, uh, and you overpay. And um, right.
1: Right.
0: It, it, it's, you know, that's a strategy. Another strategy I've, I've talked with a lot of owners about is, you know, they've, they've reduced hours or maybe cut out a, <laughs> cut out a Monday or, um, right. um, cut back on, on that just to to try to give their staff a break and, and to ease the pressure just a little bit. But you yep. know, if you're trying to grow a business, you know, you don't really
1: want to do that.
0: You want to go forward, not backwards.
1: I know I did. I, I was doing the math. Um, actually that, that same idea I was looking at closing down on Mondays, um, and trying to reduce hours where I could. And you know, that, that puts, I, I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of a half a million dollars, um, hit to the bottom line, not the bottom line, the top line and net sales. Um, and it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to just say no to that. You know, it, it, it provides, you know, it, it for some people in this industry, that extra day um, is going to be our make or break on whether or not they work for the restaurant where they, where they're going right now. They want to try to get the people that are willing to work. They want to try to get as many hours as possible. Okay. And by cutting one full shift um, for the whole restaurant, actually, excuse me, that'd be four full shifts the way that I operate because I'm open from 8am to 11pm. That's four full shifts. Um, and I, you know that that could be the difference on, on retaining a, a line cook uh, or losing them and so you know there's a lot to be said about it some restaurants can pull that off the well, papa guy has never been one to do that I'm trying to avoid that at, at all costs and right now it's costing me money and I'm hoping the idea would be not rocking that boat eventually pays dividends for me in the in the future because people can rely on the restaurant to be open every day um, they know that to be true um, but like I was saying, you know, this is a unprecedented type time and I need to, I need to get as creative as possible to, to look out for the business number one, because if I look out for the business number one, the employees get looked after and everybody's happy. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see where that ends up happening. Yeah, well, that, that
0: was, uh, you yeah, know, that was terrific to, to kind of hear everything that that you've thought through and gone through, uh, you know, doing the math on closing you know, a, a day and, that's a that's a big hit to the top line and you know that trails down to the bottom line of course too so um you know we'll all hope that the legislation and our our government uh finds and helps helps our businesses to uh to be able to operate again more profitably by making some changes but um you know i don't suppose uh you and i can can fix that on our own so uh (laughs) we just have to wait and see and and pivot as needed to to you know try to maintain profitability and um, hey let me let me switch gears again and, and ask okay. you about um um the the training component of the business because you said you got 100 employees per location okay. yeah um so that's that's a lot of people are you yeah. doing are you doing anything in particular related to training or how do you handle training at at uh, lappa Gallo
1: yeah. So training is an interesting piece. I've got, I've, I've done a lot of different things depending on the, um, the position. So m- any manager that's being hired, um, I will be with for at least one full week where there I'm, I'm trying to expel as much knowledge upon them about the concept as possible. So once I've identified the the appropriate individual to begin work, um, I have kind of a small book of, of just large bullet points that I will just kind of work through with them. So they understand the nuts and bolts of the business, what's got us to this point, um, what's made us successful for two decades, which is really difficult to come by in this industry. So what, what did we do differently? What type of culture do we have here? Um, that's, that's afforded us the opportunity to serve the lo- the areas that we do and, and what, what makes us tick. And so that's, that's where I focus most of my attention and, and my energy as far as the training goes. And then I've got, um, I identified lead servers, um, for my AM crew, my PM crew, Um, and they're the ones that are solely responsible for training any new service member that comes on board. Um, They'll work with them side by side for at least three shifts, depending on experience level, Um, and then we let them loose. Um, I do not have a really regiment strict training protocol because I do not have a really um, detailed, specific niche group that I work through. I'm a restaurant for everybody. Mm-hmm. You can come in and you could be a group of 10, 18 year old girls celebrating their 18th birthday. And then you could also be in your seventies coming in and celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary right. and everything in between. I have something for everyone. And so because of that, I don't have a real strict steps of service for my staff. Um, I want them to be able to have the flexibility, depending on the group that's coming in to enjoy the restaurant, you need to be able to mold to that. How you handle that 18 year old group of girls is going to be different than how you handle that couple in their mid Mm seventies. And so you need to be able to have the flexibility to work um, on those tables, um, depending on what the customer is demanding, not based on how I'm going to train you or what I'm telling you, you need to be saying to the table, you know, on the first approach or on the fourth approach or two minutes after they get their food, none of that. So I've got a, a bone structure, you know, I've got this, Mm -hmm. I've got this outline, but it's not very detailed. And I'm in a lucky enough position with my restaurants. I'm busy enough uh, at these locations to demand the most tenured, the most seasoned servers. And so for the most part, I'm telling them, look, you guys, rely on your, your experience in the industry, learn the menu. I've got a menu test. I do all of those things to make sure that they are knowledgeable. Um, but as far as the structure goes, once that's in place, it's let your personality shine. This is not, you know, I don't want this to be a, you know, and this is just an example, no, no knock on TGI Fridays, but I don't want this to be a big corporate TGI Fridays type of thing where they're wearing buttons and they've got name tags and they've got these suspenders. That's not the idea. The idea is be you, let that personality shine, you know, have those discussions, start to get to know your tables, you know, figure out if they've been there, this is their first time and what brings them to the area, all of those sort of things. That's what makes us different. And so rely on that. And so that's where the training is kind of based. And then it leaks out into, you know, the rest of the staff. Um, and, and we go from there and then the kitchen is, is a lot more regiment. It's a lot more specific. Um, and I leave that up to my corporate chef. He kind of handles all of that. Um, um, so yeah,
0: well, you, you can't do it all yourself. So you've got to, you've got to become <laughs> a delegator at some point, and, sure. or, or maybe the right word is enabler, yeah. um, you know, from a, a leadership perspective, you, you've, um, it sounds like you've done a great job at identifying, um, you know, leadership components you know with within the organization and then and then you're allowing them to um to really be themselves and to do their thing you know what they're best at uh in order to ensure that that you're upholding you know, the level of levels of quality and service delivery that everyone knows you for yeah. um so you know i think that's um you know that again is a is a, a great way to do it and, and you don't necessarily, you know, I think in talking to a lot of different restaurant owners, um, a stringent training program and protocol and all those kind of things, you see it sometimes, but it's, it's definitely um, not the norm. Um, yeah. So it, it sounds like, it sounds like you've got some great advice there. And, <clears throat> you know, for our, any of our listeners who, who've got a large number of employees, um, you know, you've got to develop and, and you got to select and then develop uh, those people with the leadership potential and leadership qualities in order to to take something off your plate and let you focus on what you do so that's very impressive um how about how about another location i know right now with staffing and and food costs it may not be on the the front end of your (laughs) your choices but are you thinking about that yet or kind of what's the uh so i
1: opened Yeah. I opened up my second location, my second La Papagayo in Carlsbad um, in February. And so that has taken up the 90% of my time right now. I'm still, I'm still getting through. I mean, I'm, I'm working my 70, 80 hours a week again, um, trying to keep this restaurant rolling. And as much as the community has accepted us and um, we're putting up ridiculous sales numbers. I mean, it's been, it's been amazing up there. Um, But it is a whole different thing than I've ever experienced um, getting this restaurant rolling. Because the main thing that I've learned is, you know, I was, spoiled might not be the right term, but in a sense I was uh, with the staff that I was able to walk into by purchasing the Lucadia location, the Encinitas location, um, they were already tenured, you know, I had half of that staff had been there for more than a decade, you know, and so you've got so much built in knowledge, so much built in reliability that it was a, I was able to get to a point where I could just focus on the fun stuff, the stuff that I wanted to focus, focus mm-hmm. on getting the cocktail list updated, the menus updated, doing the fun stuff. well, building up a new restaurant, you know, kind of from scratch, you know having to hire a hundred new people, having to hire and train all of them um, was something I had never done before, and so getting through that, I learned a ton, and i 'm still working my way through that so Right now, um, I've probably got another, my guess would be somewhere around six months before I'm feeling confident to be able to start pulling back a little bit from that location to start working on other things. Now I do have the other thing identified. Uh, I purchased a sports bar in downtown Encinitas about three, maybe two and a half or three years ago. Now it's an existing sports bar. It's currently operating. It's breaking even and it's fun to operate. I played baseball in college, so I've got um, a little bit of a sport background that I've Mm -hmm. enjoyed operating that. I've got a strong manager over there who kind of takes the reins Um, and the plan there, uh, I've got a full remodel, stripping it down to the studs, uh, rebuilding it, completely changing the concept. I've got those plans done and approved through the city. I'm just waiting on my timing. Um, and as soon as I'm ready to go, that's the next move. That concept will more than likely be something similar to La Papagayo, Um, but I believe it's a little bit too close to the Lucadia location. Um, and I'm working on the concept actively. I'm looking at something like a, like an elevated sports bar. Um, maybe something with like a more of a Mexican cuisine type, um, twist to it. Um, uh just because we're so close to Mexico and and uh, Mexican food in this area is just so popular. Mm. Um I want to do something maybe a little bit more elevated, um a little bit more elegant. Um but but something similar to the Papagao where you can come in and do a date night. Um but you could also come in with a couple buddies and and um and get some beers and watch some watch some sports and and have the same type of experience. So um yeah, that that's the next move. I'm hoping I'm hoping for something maybe started next year, breaking ground. Um, uh, probably quickest I could do it would probably be that. Um, so that's where my eyes are set right now.
0: Yeah. Well, you sounds like you've got a plateful, Darren.
1: Uh. <laughs> yes, sir. No fun intended. Yes, yeah, exactly. A
0: playful and and <laughs> and a whole
1: pile of, uh,
0: of, of drinks lined up on the bar that you got to chug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's uh, yeah, You, yeah, you definitely, uh, you're doing things right. And, and, you know, that the whole sports bar downtown sports bar piece sounds really fun and, and exciting. And I can tell it kind of gets your blood pumping, you know, when you, when you're in this creative zone and, um,
1: That's what yeah.
0: it, you know, I, I guess it just kind of gives you something to, to live for and to reach for. And, and, you know, I mean, let me ask you this and I, mm-hmm. I probably need to get close to wrapping up, but as as we move toward that, how do you know or how do you gauge when is the proper time to make a move like that, to add a location or to to start a new concept? Is you know, and I know timing for you, um, you know, maybe because you don't have the bandwidth just now and you gotta you gotta kind of stretch it out, but yeah, you know, how, how do you make that decision? Is it all financial? Is it is it hard? Well, so,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So the um the so it's called Beachside Barn Grill is my third location that sports bar I've been mentioning. Mm-hmm. That that location I had identified early on when I first bought La Papagayo in Encinitas because the location is incredible. It's right in the heart of downtown Encinitas. I mean right in the middle. It's got two massive outdoor patios. Um it had two bars set up in it. It had a really um It just, it it presented itself almost exactly like the Encinitas location Mm -hmm. where um, the bones of it were perfect. You just needed to come in and do the right things to it. Um, And so it was attractive out the gate. And so once I got my feet underneath me at Encinitas, I knew the restaurant was kind of downtrodden. Uh, The ownership was not paying much attention to it at the time. And so I knew it was just a matter of time before that changed hands. One of my bartenders at uh, La Papagayo uh, he also bartended at Beachside. And he told me one day, he said, hey, man, I overheard. He's like, I know you're interested in that Beachside location. I overheard my uh, owner. His name was uh, Bill. He's like, over overheard Bill talking about how he's been looking to flip out. Um, and I said, hey, Ben, I need you to do one thing. Next time you go in, give him my phone number. And I want you to ask him permission to give me his and i need to make contact because 100 i don't even want him to list it on the market i will give him fair market in a heartbeat i'll take it off his hands and literally one thing led to another uh, i was able to get in touch with them and um you know long story short and we took it over and i went in there um and did the same thing i did at lucadia where they didn't have as big of a local following so i was able to take some more liberties on that menu um, mm-hmm. and just kind of got it operating where it was breaking even. And then the plan from the start was always to um, start getting plans developed to do a, a full-scale remodel on the business, and um, that's what I've been working on. But really, how those come up is I identify I identify the properties that I like first. So I'll look for the I'll look for the spots that I feel like are are just like La Papa Island Beachside, where they are existing concepts um, that just need a little bit of attention, and they need somebody in there that's gonna that's gonna give it the attention it deserves um, and, and try my hand at it. Um, and once I identify those, then it's my timing, obviously on my side, financially, I got to make sure that's all lined up. And then, um, you know, I need to make sure I'm in a good spot with the restaurants. Um, now at this point, you know, now that I've got three operating, um, you know, for the fourth, those are going to have to be the thing. So I'm going to have to be financially prepared. Um, I'm going to have to have all three restaurants in a position where they can afford to not have me active, for an extended period of time Um, and then once I'm there I can get more aggressive Um, and (laughs) as I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised I've got a fourth location identified in Carlsbad right now Um, Ah, no I'm not surprised I'm not surprised (laughs) I'm about it's probably more like a three-year plan at this point I'd Mm -hmm. say but it's not an operating restaurant Um, it is a different concept right now, but I've talked to the ownership. They actually reached out to me. Um, it's a historical site in Carlsbad and, um, they want to eventually turn that into a, uh, restroom and a live music venue. And they approached me so, uh, they know my timing and it kind of lines up with how their lease is going to be ending up on their current, um, tenant. And they want to kind of present me with a with a warm shell, if you will. So I'll have electricity, I'll have power, I'll have um, uh, water, and um, all that. That kind of makes it necessary for me to be able to come in and, and kind of stamp it the way that I want to stamp it to make a, mm-hmm. another La Papagayo out of it. So that's the that's the vision right now. That's probably more like the five year plan. Um, but that that's kind of the process in identifying. And then making sure that you're lined up on your side, because look, timing, as far as the financials go and the restaurants go, um, that's not necessarily um, the part. I can kind of work those out. So finding the opportunity is first and foremost, making sure that you're comfortable with that opportunity is the number one thing. Once that's identified, then I try to back in the other pieces. I can always figure out the financial side of it. I can take a loan out against these restaurants. I can do, you can get creative with those things as much as you're confident and as much as you're willing to take risk. That's part of this business. That's part of business ownership. There has to be some inherent risk there um, or everybody would do it, you know? And so being comfortable with where you're at with that is number one, uh, once the the property is identified um, and then start putting the pieces together. The deal-making is really what, Beyond running the restaurant, the deal making is like my favorite thing. I love doing that. I love being able to get creative with these sellers. I love trying to uh, identify these properties and and make these deals work so I can breathe some more life into these communities and provide jobs for these guys. And and, um, it's incredibly rewarding once everything clicks. It really is.
0: That is that is an awesome story. Um, it's it. I mean, again, you can hear the passion in your voice when it when it comes to to everything that you're doing and being able to provide jobs and a, a living for you know so many people, uh, and and just breathing back life into a space. Um, it's it. You know it, it. It's really bigger than just having a restaurant. Um,
1: That's
0: for sure. And and I think that uh, those of of uh, you all, uh, rest in the restaurant owner space or restaurant tours, as we often say. Um, you know, typically have have a lot of passion, and you know the numbers are are critical, obviously. Um, but but it's you know the fun part that that really keeps you going and keeps you ticking. And um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm happy for you guys that you guys have done so well. I, I love the the fact that you're you know you, you, this goes back to the old school stuff of you know setting goals and um you know, sure. short-term mid-term and long-term goals and um yeah. though they're not a- always written down like we were taught to do uh you've uh-huh. got a plan and you've got a master plan in your head so yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's that's all that matters and uh and you've got your dad that you can you can reach out to and get some great advice i'm sure and um, yes sir and yes, help sir. with the businesses so congratulations for all you've done there and it's it's really an amazing story
1: I appreciate that, Jeff. It's been a, it's been a fun ride, man. And I'm looking, I'm looking for more success years to come. And, and like you were hitting on, you know, I think, I think the number one thing with the passion with these restaurants is they take up so much time, you know, you, you have to, you have to um, be willing to do that. And the only way you're going to be willing to do that and effectively is if you have a passion for it. And so that's why number one, you have to have a passion for the industry. You have to love, you know, concept design and coming up with new ideas with bars and and uh, always evolving staying ahead of of, um, of trends and and being involved with that that's number 1 and you know you got you spend so much time there these employees become family and so you know being able understanding how to treat them um and um, you know, identifying the people that want to move up, the people that want to, you know, just clock in and clock out, the people that want to just are just there for a paycheck and everything in between, you know, and, and being able to have those relationships with them and grow with them throughout their lives, um, you know, is hugely important. And recognizing those things, um, if you have that ground level built out, and you can focus there, um, the, the rest of the stuff, um, you know, becomes a lot easier.
0: Well, well put. And, um, that was, that was some great final advice too for, um, for all of our listeners who are starting a project, uh, you know, getting close to ending one project and and maybe beginning another or even Mm -hmm. launching their first business. So uh, I think they're really going to enjoy listening to, to this episode, Darren, and I'm really thankful to have had the opportunity to get to know you and learn more about your story. And thank you for sharing it with us today.
1: No problem, Jeff. I really appreciate you reaching out. I've had a great time.
0: Hey, um, you know, again, just uh, for one one more plug here, if you're in, in um if you're in California and you're looking for some beach, some food, <laughs> some drink, uh, Le Papagayo is the place to go. And and we've also got uh, what was it, Beachside? Uh, yeah, uh,
1: Beachside.
0: I just lost my note. I had typed it while we were talking. That no, uh, Beachside, that's it. Yeah, Beachside Bar and, and Grill as well. Please go out and and uh, support. Uh, all the great people of, of these, these restaurants. And again, we've got uh, Darren Campbell, who's the owner, on with us today. And again, thank you for your time. And uh, for all of our listeners who are uh, tuning in, we hope that you'll come back for the next episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. And I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.